Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a piano player, composer, and educator, originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Lynn Ariel. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have the, I want to say legendary, because you're a legend in the modern jazz world, I would say. No? You don't agree? Nah. Okay. Nah. <laughs> Lynn Ariel. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, ma'am. Uh, please. My pleasure. Give a brief introduction to yourself, of yourself to the people, please. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. It's great to see you and um, be, be on your show. Um, I'm originally from Milwaukee, and um, I, I started playing the piano when I was, I think, three or four. We had a plastic toy piano in, in, our, in, in our house, and I would play melodies that I'd heard off the radio. I kind of played by ear, and I remember I, I wouldn't go to sleep unless my mother was playing music. So you wouldn't go to sleep until your mother played the piano? Right, until, she, until my mother wouldn't play a recording. Um, and I'd listened to a lot of musicals, so that was kind of in my consciousness from, you know, a, a young age. And I would play by ear. I would just sit and, and, and hear melodies and, and play them, things I'd heard off the radio. I remember actually the first song I ever played was Moon River. And I, I've never played it really since, <laughs> but I remember playing it as a, as a child. And I started studying piano at some point in like morning kindergarten and, um, the teacher would play the, the songs for me and then I would play them back the next week. And then she finally realized that I was not learning how to read music. And um, she said, I'm not going to play these for you anymore. I, I'm not saying I played them exactly correctly, but I played them by ear. And so we had, you know, battles with that, of course. And the music looked like a, a war zone because there was one week it was red ink and the next green ink. And, you know, I would just kind of play what I felt like playing. But anyway, so I studied for many years and had different teachers. And I met um, uh, my uh, uh, classical teacher that really had the greatest impact on me, whose name is Rebecca Pennies. She happened to be at the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music at that time. And that was when I was around 17. And uh, later, she became a faculty member of the Eastman School of Music for about 30 or 40 years. So I was very fortunate to study with her. And this is all classical music. Um, I still would play by ear, but there was no jazz in the house I grew up in. So I had no reference point. And um, I think it wasn't until college that I really even heard jazz. And I didn't really know, I didn't really get what it was. I remember hearing a, a, a song and thinking, oh, they're playing the melody and then they're playing other melodies. And that was about as far as I got. And anyway, I ended up getting a master's degree uh, with Rebecca Pennies at the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music. And I did my, my undergrad um, at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Um, but around the time I was 25, which is really pretty late, I was walking down the street and I had this passing thought, you should study jazz. And I don't know, where that came from, but it was a passing thought. And just, I didn't even really know what that meant. And so I called uh, Tony King, who was then at, uh, at the conservatory, and I said, could I study piano with you? And he said, sure. And I came in, 
and he put down a copy of Round Midnight in front of me. And he said, read that. So I kind of stumbled through it. And he said, now make up new melodies over the same chords. And I said, are you kidding? <laughs> and that, that was my big revelation. I said, I get to do that? And he said, yeah. And that's how it started for me. <clears throat> and I later studied with David Hazeltine for many years and Richie Byrack and other great musicians that had, you know, uh, really, really profound influences on my um, studies and so forth. And eventually moved to New York and I lived there for 14 years. And now I'm living down in Jacksonville. And that is my life in a nutshell. That is a lot. <laughs> That's it. Though, so before I forget, which Broadway shows did you really enjoy when you were younger? My Fair Lady, Camelot, The Sound of Music, um, beautiful melodies, you know? Do you like any of the modern ones that have been coming out or not? I'm not really up, up on the modern ones, although I remember seeing when I lived in New York, um, my mother came to visit and she said, we have to go see Phantom of the Opera. And um, I went to see it and, well. I, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I to say? Andrew you Lloyd Webber, I know, does yeah, this stuff. I, yeah, so I, you know, um, but I appreciate the art form, but I, I like I like some of the the older musicals better. I, I like the quality of the um, of, of, of the songs. Okay, so you haven't heard like In the Heights or Hamilton? No, I haven't. Okay. I'm sorry to say. I've heard great things and I've heard snippets, but you know, I, you know. Yeah, so I feel you <laughs> on that. <laughs> you got to check those out sometime, okay? <laughs> so let's get into all of this. So you decided just randomly to become a, or go into a jazz class and study jazz music. It was really out of the blue. I had no idea what I was getting into. And, it, and it's, it was such an amazing thing that, this, that it even exists, that jazz exists, that you can be um, making up new melodies and, and creating a new story every time you play a song. That, that, that just blew me away. I mean, the only thing I can really say on that is like, you have a lot of the background a lot of my classical friends do, which is pretty much they didn't pay any attention. They didn't understand it. And then they do it for like a few months and then they start killing it. Right. Is it because, I, I don't know what, what is it? Is it just because your theory is so much better? Is it because your te technique is so much better? I, I know <clears throat> several pianists who had classical backgrounds. And um, I mean, obviously I didn't, I, I don't know their history and how they sounded in year one, year two. But I think when you've had a lot of exposure to classical music, um, Harmony and melody are all in your in your you know in your mind. You've you, and muscle memory for that matter of all the pieces you've played. So I wonder if if that helps. Now it, I think it helps in terms of developing one's touch at the instrument, like the expression of one of one's touch, uh, because in classical music that's so important. How we shape phrases and. Um, I know with my students, I'm always having them sing phrases and having them sing as much as possible so that their what comes out of their hands will be from their hearts. Okay, but what 
So how did you transition into actually becoming a jazz artist? What made you say, I'm going to record this or take the first gig or? Well, it, it was, it, it was a, a challenging transition because the whole thing of, you know, swing feel and, 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 and just, it's a, it's a brand new language. Even though I had a classical background, this was like learning a new instrument. So I had to immerse myself in, you know, Bud Powell and Charlie Parker and transcribing, um, you know, Cedar Walton and Monk and Bill Evans and McCoy Tyner. And um, my teachers had me do that. And I would play along with recordings and play with recordings to kind of grab phrases in real time and try to work with them or grab grab melodic motives and then take them through the tune so that I would kind of remember that, that, that rhythmic motive. Um, learning any language takes a lot of time. Uh, they say that it takes 10,000 hours to master anything. I'm sure for me, it takes probably, you know, well, I'm still, you know, <laughs> this is a lifelong thing. So um, I, I don't think there's ever a level of where you say, oh, it's, you know, we're, could I back up on that? Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going down a, a, an alley. <clears throat> um, they say that it takes 10,000 hours to master anything. In my case, this is uh, a lifelong pursuit and there's never a level of mastery. It's just a constant um, evolution and uh, desire to improve and to find just the right notes at the right time. And that's kind of an abstract concept. But um, I think it was Charlie Parker who said, just find the, find the beautiful notes. It's it's really easy. <laughs> okay. It's just when stuff like that happen, I just go some people I know try their hardest their whole life to get into jazz or get into music and they just never able to do it. And then people like you just come on transition and it's just like, Yep. Now I'm Oh, I it wasn't easy at all. I mean, I, I feel like I've had to work much harder than than maybe some of my colleagues have that certain things come naturally. Um, and and I think that when we hear about people that have had struggles in being able to uh, play jazz, my initial response to that is that maybe someone didn't explain it to them in a way that, that made sense to them or, or take them from the beginning because I don't know too many people, and there are exceptions, but I'm certainly not one of them, where people sit down and they play and they sound great. You know, most people, just like learning a language, you know, we, you know, there's, there's that commercial on TV now. Yeah, you're, you're supposed to sound bad for quite a while before, before you start making sense. And it, it involves tons of repetition, just like um, when a young child is learning to speak. How many words do they hear before they actually say their first word? Thousands. And then the parents are excited when they, when they first hear mama or, or papa. And then that's like amazing. And then they've made that connection between hearing something and saying it. Okay. Well, like I say, then you have your albums because your albums are always featured in the magazines. They always seem to do well on the Jazz Week charts. So... Your transition, your progress is astonishing, at least to me. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very sweet. Thank you. I'm allowed to ask which one of these mean the most to you? Which one of your albums? 
I, they're all just a documentation of that time in my life and that, that moment and that time in the studio. So, um, I can't really, I, I don't want to look at them. I, I never listen to them. They're they're That's past. Um, I'm, I'm working on whatever the next project is, which I'm, work, which I'm working on right now. Uh, yeah. Tell us about <laughs> right. it. Well, after this year mm-hmm. being what it is, I've, I've created, um, I think, 11 songs so far that are reflective of different, different um, impressions and so forth. Really, it's really a dedication to, to, to many heroes, um, including the rescue workers, including um, John Lewis, including um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, and, and many, many others. Um, this, if, if, if I'm not affected by what's happened this, this year, then I'm just cut off from reality. And that has to be reflected in, um, in the music. Okay. Is it going to be another trio? Yes. Okay. It will be with, uh, Jasper Somsen. Yes. Yeah. 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 And and, and EJ Strickland. EJ is also an amazing drummer. And I, I feel for Jasper because he's a he or was a huge Chick fan, okay. And yeah. at one point, Chick said he would come on the show, right? And right. I was excited and I was waiting. And then when I emailed him and everything, he didn't respond. Obviously, oh. I was left out of the the dust of what was really going on in his personal life. And then I wonder how people like him take it, because if that's your lifelong dream and goal to play with an artist, you're within reach. Yeah. And it just mm-hmm. never happens. That's something I yeah. would have to ask him about. Yeah, it's tough. It's a great loss. Mm-hmm. And this trio, is it going to be, can you tell me more about the album? Because I'm actually curious, especially since you killed it on the last one. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I remember hearing um, uh, a doctor speak on, on uh, MSNBC and he was talking about uh, we are here for you. Uh, I stand on the shoulders of giants. I'm working with some of the most fearless people I've ever met. Uh, come to us. We will take care of you. And I just started crying. And I thought, this is the spirit. And then I picked a title that reflected that. Um, so I'd like, in the midst of all this, I'd like there to be some feeling of uplift the range of emotions that we've all experienced this year are just beyond anything we could have ever imagined. Um, I mean, I've felt every time I turn on the TV and I see the violence against human beings at this level, which is, it's been going on for a very long time. And it's, it's, you turn on the TV and it's like, are you kidding? Are are you another, like, there's no, there doesn't seem to be a change. It happened again, you know, and every day there's something. And I just, you know, it, it's, it's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. I agree on that. So you're going to go into that whole movement of happening in Minnesota and everything within the whole year, not just. No, no. I'm just saying in general, our, uh, the response, you know, uh, I, I, I am, grateful to the, the, the people who have worked tirelessly to get the truth out 
and to the people who took their valuable time to march to, to make their voices heard. And, um, y- you know, it had, it had to be done. And, and there were people who put their lives at risk to stand in lines to vote. And that's what it's come to in this country at this time. And, you know, the rage I feel that we can't even pass a Voting Rights Act yet in 2021, and we're still thinking about it. I mean, it's unbelievable. But the last four years prior to the current administration have been, uh, you know, there are no words. I have friends on both sides, though. So I hear both sides and eh, that's all I say (laughs) on those topics. So, let me ask you this. How did the whole corona situation personally affect you? Um, well, my husband is very high risk. He's a cancer survivor. He has one lung. And so, uh, around March, I was supposed to start going out to promote this new album. And I called um, Jason at Snug Harbor on a Monday and I said, I'm supposed to play on Friday. I'm getting kind of nervous. This is in March. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's okay that, you know, there aren't any cases here. But I had been researching this and watching it, you know, and um, you don't have to have cases before there's contagion. And since we didn't know who was a silent spreader, and I thought, and I talked to a friend of mine in New York, he said, Lynn, everything is shutting down. And so I, I called the venues and I said, even, even though some of them hadn't closed down yet, I said, if I brought back COVID to my husband, I would never forgive myself. I mean, I, I can't even imagine that. And, um, and they were very understanding. But then things, you know, venues closed, closed down. Um, and it, it happened that in New Orleans, that was right, either right after Mardi Gras, right before it, where Mardi Gras was a humongous spike, and then they were overrun. So um, <clears throat> it's a very frightening time. I think it's a time where there's, it's a natural response to have anxiety and depression. Uh, and uh, when I, I talk to my students, and I tell them, if you're having these reactions, this, this is normal. Please, of course, seek help. Um, but um, uh, the increase in, in anxiety in, 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 in many, many people is, is um, tremendous because we don't know what's going to happen. And uh, to think we're safe now because there's a vaccine, I hope we are. But there are, you know, variants and we don't know what we don't know, you know? I agree, but then it's coming to the point where civilization is going to close down in general because like look, no we, we just have look. to be really careful we have to be really i I'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you no it's okay go you think we have to be really careful i agree so what do you think of like just the uh, venues how should they stay open they can't a lot of them right now but we're going through a, a, a tragedy a huge crisis an unprecedented crisis and we have to get to the other side of it to, to, to a, a, a time when we can play for people. And I have great faith in the community and the presenters 
that they will find a way and uh, you will see new fresh, you know, new sprouts coming up. Like after there's a, a forest fire and then you see signs of life and there, you can't stop this music. So what about the, is this the person that is just young that is starting the jazz journey? They have nowhere to perform. There's a super saturation of stuff on the internet right now. So if anything, they're getting less recognition than they ever did before. What would be your suggestions or advice to them? To follow their heart, but to know that um, this is a challenging time uh, and that the more uh, options that they have in terms of their skill set, the better. Um, I have students that are not only playing, uh, they're doing things, you know, uh, you know, presentations on, on YouTube and so forth, but maybe they're recording engineers also, and they're, <clears throat> they're, they're doing other things in addition to playing their instrument and they're teaching. Um, people are putting out a lot of records. In fact, that's what we have right now. If we can't play at live venues right now, then you know, we're, we're putting out music so that people can hear the music. And that's important. It keeps things going in whatever way we can. And there are a lot of musicians that are doing amazing things in terms of their presentations and connecting with their audience online. I've been, I haven't done that um, generally just because I'm so incredibly busy between uh, being a professor at UNF and my home life and preparing a new project um, it's, it's taking up all of my time. Okay. Without pressing that too much, it's just, the thing about it is people like me, I love the fact that every week I get like eight solid new albums to listen to. But from the streaming revenue alone, you're not allowed to tour, you're not allowed to do a lot of stuff. A lot of these guys are in the red. I know that I, I, the, the musicians, you know, th think maybe you know, what 95% of them, you know, if, if they didn't have another source of income and, and suddenly overnight they don't have any gigs and maybe they don't have any savings, you know, I mean, that's, you know, maybe they're just living on whatever is going to come in the next gig, which is very, you know, common and maybe typical. And um, <clears throat> I was listening to your broadcast with, with, um, with Eric Reed, and he said, you know, people were looking out for one another, and thank God. Um, um, I don't know how people are handling it. And it must be a huge, a huge crisis. Um, and, you know, and I know there are resources available. There are some resources. That I'm sure they fall short of being able to make people whole. So UNF, how has it taken the whole situation? We had the option of coming in and teaching classes or teaching virtually. I would say in my combo program, about a third of the students, maybe no, a quarter of the students decided to, uh, to uh, learn remotely. <clears throat> so I've been having combo class remotely with them. And then there are three groups that I work with and two that my colleague Scott Giddens uh, works with that actually came in. I would, I would coach them um, on FaceTime. 
And they were okay with that. In fact, we just did a video where I did come just on Saturday um, of their original music. And that felt great to, to, to put that together. Okay. You still haven't been back? Is well, I was been back virtual? on Saturday. No, no. Yeah, I, yeah, but no, we haven't been back. But we okay. had the option. Some teachers were teaching in person. And I appreciate the university was very flexible with everybody's, you know, situation. Um, and the students were too. I have told them many times that I personally feel so badly that in their 20s, they're going through this unprecedented event. This is not how it was supposed to be. And that it takes a lot of courage and just a lot of just getting up again. If you feel like you've fallen down and just getting up again and um, reach out if, if, if you need help, if I can help them in any way, any day, any time of day or night, uh, I want to be there for them because they, it's easy to feel a sense of isolation. Um, many people really need that contact with, with, their, with their friends and colleagues uh, some people are extroverted, some are more introverted. So I think it's impacted uh, people in different ways. But um, I think my students have been just amazing and they're just, they're handling it and they're dealing with it. Well, this lockdown in general, which don't get me wrong, I believe it's necessary to, an ex to a point. It's just that it's going to kill the next generation economically psychologically, <laughs> emotionally, oh, yeah. <laughs> a, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. They're going to have a, <clears throat> a lot of issues. Not like saying my yes. generation doesn't have issues, but. <laughs> these are, these are, you know, of a huge magnitude and we don't even know. We're not out of it yet. So, um, but we don't know how they're going to handle this. But when you think about people who have, who have gone through huge crises in their lives, like people who've been in concentration camps and you think, how can they be alive and function after going through that? Or people who've been abused or, or, or severely traumatized uh, or who have post-traumatic stress syndrome and they're in constant, in a constant state of anxiety. Um, and somehow they, they, they handle it. And that always blows me away. So when I look at whatever my own challenges are, and I think about all the people who are going through, you know, far greater challenges than I will ever know. And they are somehow, you know, getting up every day and saying, okay, I'm going to handle this. I, I heard a line in a movie recently, life can bring you to your knees, but then you, you, you get back up again and start again. Mm -hmm. I agree. Oh, well, so you weren't able to really promote your last album. So are you ever going to get that revenue back, you think? I think I will s sell CDs at, at venues. Uh, I'll ha I have a lot of them. <laughs> 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 and um, when touring starts again, mm -hmm. I'm going to be playing material from that CD as well. And so it, it is what it is. I agree on that. What point. can you do? <laughs> There's not much we can really do <laughs> right? at that point. Yeah. So just in your students alone, since you're still in the academia world, what do you tell them to prepare for? Or, 
Like, how do they see the music world while they're in university? And what do you actually tell them to prepare for when they graduate? I, I try to teach them professionalism skills. And I tell them right at the beginning that learning to be a professional it has far-reaching effect, effects, not just for, you know, being in music, but whatever field you choose. And I tell them that this is not something I can teach them in one class or one setting. Like, if you do this, you're a professional. I tell them that every time we interact, you have an opportunity to work on your professionalism skills. Every time you interact with another one of your, uh, with, with one of your uh, um, friends or um, peers, you have an opportunity to work on your professionalism skills. So what that means to me is um, that, that they need to work on being aware of who they are speaking to at all times, being aware of the other person and the world around them and not just of themselves. It's very easy to just be in our own bubble but the space around ourselves, and that includes how we play, you know, and, and listening. What do you mean by be aware of who you're around? Be aware that we never know what another person has gone through. We never know if their mother just died. We never know if they're in pain or if they're okay. We don't know. Now, if we really thought that the person checking us out at the grocery store was going through a divorce and feeling like they, they could barely make it because they're shattered. Would we take a moment to be kind? I think we would. And so if we always know and think, you know, I don't know what this person is going through and I'm going to, I'm going to err on the side of being gracious always to everyone without any, <clears throat> any distinction, to be compassionate to everyone around us, including ourselves. Uh, Self-deprecation is we're being violent to ourselves, like saying, I can't do it, I can't do it. So we start to change the language. When I've had students say, well, I, I'm really bad at this. And I said, wait, 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 one second. Yeah. Um, maybe, you, maybe nobody explained it to you yet. Let's try this. You know, because if you're bad at it, then I am too, <laughs> whatever this is. I've had students say to me, well, I'm really just, I, I have this thing. I'm really distractible. I said, I want you to know this. I hear you. And I think that most of the people on the planet would, would say that they're distractible. That's the nature of mind. It's going off in many directions. And I'm here to help you focus your mind by giving you many ways to, to, to come back to the present. Um, so in terms of professionalism, um, I am, in a sense, their first agent. <laughs> and that's a funny way to put it. Whether I book them for a gig or not, I tell them right up front because I want them to succeed. I want them to make the mistakes here with me. I don't want them to make them out in the world and then have nobody call them because they came a half hour late to the gig. And so I tell them, if you're coming in 10 minutes late to class, your classmates know that you come 10 minutes late habitually. And maybe the teacher said, okay, you're coming late. I'm going to you know, adjust the grade, whatever. What you're not realizing is that 
if someone needs a saxophone player for a gig and they say, well, there's this one and this one, and uh, they're both great, but this one always, you know, this, this saxophone is always comes late to class. Who do you think is going to get the gig? Like suddenly you're going to become professional when you can't get to class and set two alarms and get out of bed on time. And they go, oh, like this is real life. Yes, actually, this is real life. And, and I tell them that professionalism comes over, you know, lots of repetition of being professional, of acting professionally. And, um, and also part of professionalism is understanding that we all make mistakes. I tell my students, I make mistakes all the time. Now, if I don't learn from them and try to correct, then that's a problem. But I tell them when I mess something up, oh, sorry, I messed that up. I want to take out any stigma of making a mistake because that can live with us. It's, it's like a dagger to the heart. Well, no, we make mistakes and I guarantee, well, I can't guarantee anything actually, but I'm pretty sure the sun is still going to come up tomorrow morning. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure. And, and you, you are going to be okay. And the other thing I tell them, this is like the, the first session, I tell them that you're sitting on a chair right now. If you fall, we will pick you up. We will help you up. I promise you that. And if you fall, it's only about a foot to the ground. This is not falling off of Mount Everest or off the Grand Canyon. I know it might feel like that, but if you hit a wrong note or mess up a change or mess up the form or flip the beat, every person I know who's a professional has been through that. We don't like it. We feel terrible afterwards. We feel like our careers are over, but guess what? We, we somehow survive and say that we can't let that happen again. And last, oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Go, 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 go. <laughs> Lastly, um, you know, sorry, I forgot. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So any of these students that you had in the past, do I know any? I don't know. Who are your top ones? If you had a name, come on. Don't be oh shy. Oh my God. I have some brilliant students who have done beautiful things and they all are out there gigging and teaching and writing and, uh, and flourishing. Um, I'm so proud of them. And you know why you're not hearing any names? It's okay. Because, you don't have to say names. Because, because <laughs> if, if I give you three names, I'm sure I'll forget 10 other ones that are so amazing. And to all my students, if they hear this, I am so proud of you. You, you guys, you know, you inspire me. And I learned so much from them. Understood. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where have you performed that stood out the most to you? You know, uh, I, I, I'm going to give an example. Uh, when I took a math class in high school, uh, the teacher was would tell us that he had a teacher that would write a theorem on the blackboard. And as he was writing it, um, it he would have the eraser right ne next to it as he was writing. My life kind of feels that way. There's so much that I'm dealing with that is, you know, looking ahead that if I were to try to remember, you know, gigs, 
it's difficult. It's a little bit of a blur. And maybe that's because I'm getting older, but there are a lot. <laughs> don't, don't use that excuse. There has to be at least one artist out there, that, a one event that made you be like, yes, I remember that. Well, touring with Randy Brecker and touring with Benny Golson obviously were incredible um, experiences for me and just ins- inspiring. And touring uh, with 100 Golden Fingers with, Hank Jones and Tommy Flanagan, Cedar Walton, Monty Alexander, Ray Bryant, Junior Mance. Who am I forgetting? And now she says uh, Roger Calloway. <laughs> and, and I was so you know unprepared for this, but it was one of those moments that I got a call, and Marion McPartland was unable to do the tour, and they called me to do it. And I had very little experience in playing solo piano, or you know, and I just. I, I, I was in a state of kind of panic the whole time, but they were so gracious. I'll I'll never forget being on the plane to Japan and Ray Bryant came back and he said, I just want you you to know we're really glad you're here. And I just, I got very teary and I said, thank you so much. And these are my idols. And to be touring with them uh, was, was really very special. And every gig where I've played with musicians that I love with, with the musicians in my trio is, is memorable in, in that way that if, if we if we connected and if we reached reached people and maybe brightened their day just even a little bit just a tiny bit um, I'm happy that's fine okay so how was playing in Japan versus playing in Florida well everything was I mean, it, it was an, it, that particular tour was amazing. In fact, some of the members of the group said, uh, "Don't get used to this because um, this is not <laughs> this is not how it often is." Uh, our suitcases, we left our suitcases outside of our room in the morning, and they were picked up. And it was, it was gorgeous pianos at every venues at every ve- excuse me, gorgeous pianos at every venue we played at. There were three pianos, and we would. Um, do, do duos and trios, uh, and then also piano-based drum trios with um, uh, Bob Cranshaw and Alan Dawson. Okay. So they picked up your bags from outside the hotel room and they just showed up at the next one? Basically, yeah. Oh, and nice. that, does not, that does not happen. <laughs> it's never happened since. Uh, no, I've never been on tour in Japan. I've been to Japan, but nah, nice. Uh, I'm jealous of Beautiful you country. Beautiful country. Where were you performing? In Tokyo, Th- Kyoto? Throughout, there were like 10, yeah, Tokyo. all the major cities. Yeah, we, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was quite a long tour and, and a lot of performances and beautiful venues and, and amazing people. Okay. So, Wisconsin versus New York scene. Well, everything is faster. But I remember thinking when I lived in Wisconsin, people would tell me that I, I spoke too quickly and that I needed to slow down. But in New York, it, it, it didn't feel like I was speaking too fast. And everything, everything was moving faster. And um, I think I was kind of in shock for the first year, just kind of stunned because it's, it's, it's overwhelming. And I mean, how do you get started in a new city? Uh, so at that point I had little cassette tapes and I went from club to club 
And of course they had hundreds of other cassette tapes and how do you get, you know, their attention. And I learned a lot <clears throat> and I was very fortunate to be able to book some gigs and hire uh, musicians that were actually my icons, like Frank Gant and Jamil Nasser and uh, Rufus Reed um, and um, the list goes on. And to play duo with them when I just moved to, to New York was, you know, amazing. And also I had to find out ways to, to kind of have arrangements on tunes without having to have a rehearsal to be able to talk through them and have charts that were clear. So I kind of learned to be a leader because I had to. Um, and I realized, oh, I booked this gig. That means I, I'm responsible for the material and I have to get my book together and have it be easy to, to deal with and clear and so forth. And every experience taught me something. Well, how did you end up booking those gigs, like getting their attention? <clears throat> I, I dropped by a whole bunch of times and said, have you had it? Hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Lynn. Have you had a chance to uh, listen? Or, you know, I came by the other day. It's, it's tricky because if you're too pushy, that can be irritating. And if you don't, if you don't speak up, then everybody else is speaking up. <laughs> and so there's that problem. Okay. Well, the New York scene in general, what do you think is going to happen to it? I don't know. But as I said before, I think that um, there are going to be signs of life and new, new life forms coming up, uh, even if the existing um, clubs are, you know, either closing or in, in severe financial distress. Uh, it's, it's very, very sad. But we have to just keep going forward. And I think there are people that have a lot of energy that once, once we kind of get a handle and, and feel like it's safe to be together, I mean, safer to be together than it might be now, um, there will be new, new places that come up. That I agree with. But in Florida, have the, the clubs been closing? I don't really know the club scene in, in Florida. I know there are a couple places in Jacksonville, uh, but I don't usually, I haven't been to them actually. I'm usually out of town with the gigs I'm doing. Okay, no problem. So if you could turn back time, would you talk yourself out of being a jazz musician or would you stick with classical? No, I would still be a jazz musician. May I ask why? Uh, because it allows me the opportunity to constantly grow and, 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 and there are no limits and there are no boundaries. Um, the directions the music can go is, is as vast as, as one's imagination. And that in and of itself is, is, is makes it something that I can do till the very end for me. Okay. And if you could make your perfect dream album, Budget was not a problem. What would it be and who would be on it? You know, I can't answer that question well because I am so content and thrilled to be working with musicians such as Jasper and EJ and, and the other musicians I've worked with over the years that I, I treasure that relationship. And I don't think, oh, but if only, I mean, that doesn't even come into my consciousness or, oh, 
I, you know. Guest appearance-wise, if I could give you any artist that do one guest appearance on one track, who would come to mind? I'm going to have to think about that for a long time. I'm not sure who that would be. I'm terrible. I know. I know. Eric Clapton, uh, Mark Sherman, I don't know, Warren Wolf. I could go down a whole list of people. No one comes to mind? Nora Jones? So many there are so many people that, that, I, that, that, it would, that would be great that for me to limit it to one. So it's a big, either a very big list and we'll be here all afternoon. Um, uh, but but um, that I'll have to, I'll have to. Um, okay. What is the best compliment you have received? Has it been one that stuck with you? A woman who came up to me and I didn't take it as a compliment, but I was very moved by it. She said, my husband just died. And when I listen to your music, it, it has helped me through this time. And, and I did not, it did not go into my mind as a compliment, but that was meaningful to me. And if with, with the challenges that people go through, if I can just, if, 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 if music can help people in any way, and even if it's one quarter of 1% of, of whatever they're going through, whatever that means, or just a touch or just lighten their load a little bit, or if they feel a little bit better when they come out of a concert, or if they feel a connection with the musicians and we've shared this precious and sacred space together and we've spoken to them and hopefully spoken to their hearts through our music and also through speaking. Um, that's very meaningful to me. Okay. So is there any jazz artist you wish to give a shout out to? No? Nah? All of my colleagues that... Um, persevere every day and face immense challenges, especially now, especially um, my, my colleagues that uh, had uh, gigging as their only source of income. And I hope they are finding their way. And I know there have to be hundreds and thousands worldwide that are in that situation. And I'm shouting out to them. And it's my hope and my prayer that they're okay. And the other shout out is to everyone in this country and in this world who, who and I, I can't even call it a shout out. It's, 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 it's a hug. I want to send a hug or, or something um, to all the people that have lost someone in their lives. Um, because that's an experience that you wish no one would have to go through, especially with the way this disease has ravaged our country. Um, and these people um, are, are heroes to me, just getting up and, and handling it. Um, those are, these are my heroes. And, you know, bless, bless them all. And I have to ask this. What is something you really dislike about the jazz world? 
what I don't like, but I can live with, is considering how fragile the the jazz is in terms of like all music, in terms of survival, and you know the the in it being, you know, what it is in the world that we spend time saying negative things about our our colleagues who have practiced thousands and thousands of hours and maybe maybe they're not our favorite but come on I mean, are you kidding they do that really? in sports too so that one i can't say i know <laughs> i know but but you know to put negativity out about another musician um and maybe i've done that and if i if i have i'm apologizing right now um but life is too short and and in reality if that musician heard that interview where you were, where that person was dissing them, how would they feel? And how would that person, the first person feel if they heard that about them? I, I mean, what? You mean if they what? came on this show and insulted another musician? Yeah, or, 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 yeah, absolutely. They would come on this show and insult that musician back. Okay, so, and, and we're, we're, you know, we're, how, we're devolving, we're, <laughs> It'll be entertaining, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> it might be entertaining, but um, it de- it depends on what what what's important to you. No, I agree on that. And and um, I, I think if people talk about their heroes and what inspires them and so forth, and the musicians that have 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 um, transformed their lives, just the fact that they are you know were able to listen to you know these musicians. That's really positive. It just, I, I, it's, it's tough, you know, when, when I hear people bad rapping other musicians. Okay. That is fair. No, seriously, I do understand that to an extent. I just wish that, how should I put it? Some of these write-ups don't compare other artists the way they do mm-hmm. in that aspect. So that's why I'm saying yeah. I do agree with you. I know. And I hear that. I, I see that. And, that that isn't the point. And I've I've read um, reviews of artists, and I thought, oh come on, this person has dedicated their life, and and in the, in the stroke of a pen, and it doesn't mean that it's it's that reviews should be everybody should be oh everybody sounded really nice everybody sounded really, it's not about that, but you know you you can play to people's strengths, you can say what you have to say. But yeah, it, it gets it gets into dicey territory, I think. No, I meant more like if, let's just say you decide to make a big band album. Right. And then Jazz Magazine X says she should stick with trios. I'm like, why would you write that? <laughs> it's like she's venturing into new place, or, you know, a new world. And who knows, maybe her second one would be like the best big band album of all time. But sure. because you wrote that, now she's back to trios. Right. Mm. Who knows? But but um, and, and and let yeah let artists grow and maybe you know learn from every experience and 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 try new things and so forth. You know. Yes. Oh well. So before we go, we normally give a shout out, show our respects to the artists who come before us. So in your okay. case, I'm going to give you an instrument, and you're going to okay. tell us a person, okay, and why. So on trumpet. Who would you like to play with? Uh, Miles. 
And there are many, but but you say Miles, no one's going to argue with you on that. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's not not a controversial <laughs> statement. <laughs> okay, on saxophone, John Coltrane. Okay, now you're making this too. Okay, it's, it's <laughs> yes. true. I know it's a bit, but but this is your dream band, so yes, okay. On bass, Ron Carter. I know. I'm. I'm just. I'm like. This is a who's who, but I'm. Just... Okay. On drums, Jack Dejanet. Yeah. <laughs> Your vocals. Well, I love listening to Take Six. I've worn out their recordings. They're 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 like a miracle, <laughs> what they've done, and so that's not necessarily you know collaboration, but just you know, I I have to I have to say that they move me so much, and and of course there are so many other magnificent vocalists, um, but I wanted to mention them. Okay. And on keys. Keith Jarrett. I'm going to ask you why Keith Jarrett. Uh, because he's one of the greatest improvisers in the world. And one melody leads to the next. And there's a story. And he touches my heart. No problem. And he's touched millions and millions of other hearts. Oh, no, yeah, I agree. And because I'm curious, your favorite Take Six song? The album, the whole album, but there's one, if we ever needed the Lord right now, we sure do need him now. That just popped into my mind, but Getaway Jordan. And um, all, I, I, it was one of their earlier albums. And um, uh, A Quiet Place. The whole album, I, I I love. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Sailing is my favorite, and they still play that one a lot, so I can't say anything or complain about it. So, could you please tell the people your social media, your websites, where to find you, etc.? Sure, sure. Uh, my website is lynnariel dot com, and that's l y n n e a r r i a l e. And um, social media, the same as Lynn, Lynn Ariel. Okay. Well, everyone, I want to say thank you for thank joining you. us. Thank you. And everyone, have a good day. Thank you for so much. This is the end of Improv Exchange. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.